On May 8, 1980, officials from the World Health Organization announced that smallpox, the disease which had ravaged humanity across the world for millennia, had been eradicated. Over the last century before the eradication of smallpox, it is estimated to have killed half a billion people. Learn more about humanity's deadliest disease and how it was eradicated on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by Audible.com. My audiobook recommendation today is The Speckled Monster, a historical tale of battling smallpox by Jennifer Lee Carroll. The Speckled Monster is both a tale of courage in the face of the deadliest disease that has ever struck mankind and a gripping account of the birth of modern immunology. Carroll's dramatic story follows two parents who, after barely surviving the agony of smallpox themselves, flouted 18th century European medical tradition by borrowing folk knowledge from African slaves to protect their children. You can get a free one-month trial to Audible and two free audiobooks by going to audibletrial.com slash everything everywhere, or by clicking on the link in the show notes. Smallpox, also known as the variola virus, is the deadliest disease in human history. Full stop. More deadly than all the wars ever fought, more deadly than the bubonic plague, cholera, influenza, or as far as we know, anything. If you contracted smallpox, your odds of dying were about 30%. Less lethal than Ebola, but far more virulent. It inhabited the deadly sweet spot of lethality and virulentness. We aren't sure when smallpox first reared its head and infected humans. It was probably around 10 to 12,000 years ago when humans first domesticated animals. Our best guess is that it first appeared in Northeast Africa, where it mutated from an African rodent pox virus, which is the closest related virus in nature. The first evidence we have of the disease comes from ancient Egypt. Some mummies from around 1500 BC have been found with smallpox skin lesions. There is evidence on the corpse of the pharaoh Ramses V of smallpox scarring. From there, the disease probably spread via traders to India and from there to the rest of Asia. There are reports of smallpox in ancient Chinese text as well as in ancient Sanskrit writings. The disease spread slowly as humans traveled slowly. As trade between countries grew, however, the disease spread faster. The disease tended to spread in large outbreaks. Many of the early plagues in antiquity prior to the plague of Justinian of which I did a previous episode, were probably smallpox. The plague of Athens in 430 BC was probably smallpox. It was said to have come from Egypt or Ethiopia. The Antonine Plague, which hit the Roman Empire from 165 to 180 CE, might very well have been smallpox. In 735, smallpox reached Japan, and it's estimated to have killed a third of the population. These epidemics kept springing up all over Europe, Africa, and Asia. Being wealthy didn't protect you. Kings and queens could fall victim just as easily as the poor. Habsburg Emperor Joseph I, Queen Mary II of England, Tsar Peter II of Russia, King Louis XV of France, as well as an Ethiopian king, a Chinese emperor, and two Japanese emperors all died from smallpox. However, it was nothing compared to what happened in the New World. Smallpox was unknown in the Americas. No one in North or South America had any resistance to the disease. The size of the population in the Americas at that time is unknown, but estimates range as high as 100 million people. While smallpox wasn't the only disease brought from the old world to the new, 
it certainly was the worst. Estimates are that in the first century after European contact, as many as 90% of the people in the Americas might have died. Most of this was unrecorded and was before the vast majority of people ever laid eyes on a European. The disease spread before Europeans showed up in most places, and they found a vastly depopulated land when they got there. One of the reasons why such vast herds of buffalo were found on the Great Plains may have been due to this massive depopulation of native peoples from disease. Even if you didn't die from smallpox, the effects could last a lifetime. Smallpox scarring was often severe. If you've ever seen an image of Queen Elizabeth I with thick white makeup on her face, that was there to hide the scarring from smallpox. The earliest records indicate that the fight against smallpox began in China around the 10th century. There are two strains of the smallpox virus, variola major and variola minor. There is evidence that the Chinese used exposure to the variola minor virus to provide lifelong resistance to both strains. This technique became known as inoculation, or more specifically to smallpox, variolation. The Chinese would take scabs from recent smallpox victims, dry them, and then blow the powder into someone's nose. The process of variolation wasn't foolproof. Fatality rates could range from half a percent to two percent, but it was much better than the 30% from getting a full-blown case of smallpox. By the 17th century, variolation was very common in China and Africa, but it was still shunned in Europe. It was considered folklore and not something which serious medicine would consider. At the time, they were more worried about things like applying leeches and removing evil humors. One of the first Europeans to adopt the practice was Lady Mary Wortley Montague, who first observed the practice when she visited the Ottoman Empire. It was also adopted in the 18th century United States when the practice was used by African slaves who brought the technique with them. It was adopted by Cotton Mather, who was perhaps better known for such scientific endeavors as the Salem Witch Trials. The next big advance came in the late 18th century from English physician Edward Jenner. It had been observed that people who contracted a similar but much less deadly disease called cowpox would develop an immunity to smallpox. This was especially obvious in milkmaids, young women hired to milk cows and do dairy work. In 1796, he famously took the pus from a cowpox sore from a milkmaid by the name of Sarah Nelms and inoculated eight-year-old James Phipps, the son of his gardener. The cow she got the infection from was called Blossom, and its hide now hangs in the St. George Medical School Library in England. The boy developed a fever, but nothing more. Subsequent exposure to smallpox showed that he had developed an immunity. Jenner tested it on 23 other patients, including his 11-month-old son. He called this technique vaccination. His technique quickly spread around the world. Napoleon had all his troops vaccinated. He gave Jenner a medal, even though he was fighting the English at the time. Bavaria and Denmark made vaccination mandatory in 1810. In an earlier episode, I mentioned that agronomist Norman Borlaug had saved more people than anyone else in history. Edward Jenner might very well be in competition for that title. Through the 19th and 20th centuries, our knowledge of diseases and viruses improved, and vaccines got much better. Smallpox still killed millions around the world, but the disease was finally getting under control. We began to create smallpox vaccines in the laboratory and didn't require another person to vaccinate someone. Unlike other diseases like bubonic plague, which is spread by rats, smallpox was only spread by humans to other humans. That meant it was possible to actually eradicate smallpox. By 1949, the United States had its last case of smallpox. In 1950, the Pan American Health Organization set about an eradication program 
for all of the Western Hemisphere. By 1963, Europe saw its next-to-last case in Stockholm, which came from a sailor which brought it from Asia. In 1958, the World Health Organization announced the goal of the complete global eradication of smallpox. This had mostly been achieved in developed countries, but there were still millions of cases per year in Africa and Asia. In 1967, they announced the final phase to completely eradicate the disease. They set up mass vaccination programs for developing countries, as well as a quick response program for reported cases. They even offered bounties to people who were able to report smallpox. Within 10 years, the number of global cases went from millions to zero. The last naturally occurring case of the variola major virus occurred in Bangladesh in 1975. The last case of variola minor was in Somalia in 1977. The last case of smallpox in the world and the last person to die from the disease was not a natural case. In 1978, Janet Parker, a photographer at the Birmingham University School of Medicine in England, contracted smallpox after working in the floor above a laboratory which was doing research on the virus. In 1980, after two years without a single case, the WHO announced to the world that smallpox, the most lethal disease in the history of humanity, had been eradicated. Since the announcement of the eradication of smallpox, the issue hasn't quite gone out of the news entirely. After the eradication, all known stockpiles of the virus were destroyed, with two exceptions. There are still frozen samples of smallpox kept at research facilities in the United States Center for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta and Russia's State Research Center for Virology and Biotechnology in Moscow. These two remaining samples have caused considerable debate over the last 40 years. On one hand, Having frozen samples of the virus allows us to create vaccines in the unlikely event that smallpox should rear its head again in the future. Concerns are that it might come from a terrorist who digs up corpses of smallpox victims or from some hidden corner of the world where it has lain dormant. On the other hand, the stockpiles themselves might be the greatest threat of the virus spreading again. If the virus were to get loose, the impact could be devastating. Today, most of the world has no immunity to smallpox. No one under the age of 40 has received a smallpox vaccine because they stopped issuing them once the disease was declared eradicated. If smallpox were to rear its head again, it could be a replay of what happened when it was brought to the new world, except this time, globally. Executive producer of Everything Everywhere Daily is James Makala. Special thanks to everyone who supports the show over on Patreon. Please remember to leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. Even a simple review can really help the show get discovered in the sea of other podcasts that are out there.